Welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. Today's episode number 66. We need one more six on the end of that, and it would actually be a good number. Uh, give us, uh, give us like 13 years or so, <laughs> and we'll get there. Yeah, we will, if we ever do. But I'm pretty sure we won't run out of topics. Actually, we probably will run out of topics before then. But today's topic, since we haven't run out yet, is casual games. Yay. But before we get into casual games, we have our pre-show. And then a bunch of boring stuff about what we played this week. And then finally, we actually get into the stuff you're here for. The games. 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 Mm. So, we... uh, anything interesting to bore our listeners with? What are we talking about today? Hi, guys. Oh, yeah. I'm Brian, and this is my co-host, Bianca. Oh, screw you. Yeah, I'm you're Mr. Chance. Neener, neener. Yeah, well, I'm the host, and you're the co-host, Minion. If you don't like it, you can go do my dishes. Okay, you smell like a sandwich. So... What's up? I'm going to skip the first one because I want to cover that another time. Um, last episode, I mentioned that we had the upcoming Google I.O. conference, which is their developer conference, and also when they announce all kinds of stuff. And this year, they announced all kinds of stuff that I don't give two craps about. I was pretty disappointed overall by Google I.O. this year, which is a shame. It's the first time I've been disappointed. I don't think they announced a new Nexus device like everyone was expecting. They were expecting... The announcement of the new device, which was going to bring down the price of the uh, current previous devices, that didn't really happen. So that's a shame. I'm sure it'll be discounted by November when our uh, phone contracts are up. Yeah, I can finally get rid of this cracked-ass piece of garbage I've got. Yeah, I'm kind of sick of my Nexus 5. Um, one thing they announced, they talked a little bit about the Android N uh, operating system. Right now they're on M Marshmallow. They haven't yet named N. They have a website, so I didn't write it down. Uh, if you want to contribute a name, a dessert-oriented uh, name. It just doesn't work in anything but Chrome. So if, you, if you're like me and you have Firefox, you're prepared to be extremely disappointed. But you know what? I've come to expect this. Google's a bunch of turdwads whose model used to be no evil, but clearly they intend to do evil. Bastards. Well, they made... Yeah. they For a long time, they made fun of Internet Explorer for being proprietary and having applications that only worked on their platform, like yeah, uh, ActiveX. What a bunch of <laughs> And now they uh, have all these Chrome-dependent apps themselves, which is rather, well, it's not open standards compliant in any way. It's a real shame mm -hmm. that they would do such a thing. So, so and anyway. Then, huh? And then by hypocrites. Oh, stop what this. a bunch of <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> So anyway, um, what do they say? There's a couple of Android N uh, features that look interesting. They have um, kind of an alt-tab task switching sort of a thing. There's currently a task switcher in Marshmallow, uh, which I think is inferior to how it used to be. It used to be that it would show you a list of uh, the last 10 or so applications mm -hmm. uh, that and you had you open. And you could cycle through them. Yeah, you could cycle through well, yeah, you, it was just a, a list that you could, like, scroll up or down and see them in the list. 
and it had a clear all button so that you could uh, wipe them all out of your history. Not that they were consuming any resources, but it just kept your list tidy. So in Android M, they changed it so that... Everything you ever opened... Yeah, it's in this ridiculously long list. It's really stupid. So they're changing it a little bit. Um, they're bringing back the clear all button. They're restricting that list to the last 10 apps or so, which is smart, because I don't care about the history of what I, like, 43 apps ago, what I opened. It's just Yeah, and clutter. Plus, if you uninstall something nine times out of ten, it doesn't even remove it from the list until you click it. And oh, yeah, it does, it does remove it. If you uninstall something, it will remove it from that list. Oh, it does? Oh, yeah. But uh, but if you have a bunch of apps open, then if like if you ever ran the app, it's in your previously run apps quick list, which makes no sense at all. So um, they're restricting that list to ten, and they're adding a clear all button. But what's also interesting is that by double clicking the uh, app uh, switching button, which is a square, if you double tap it, it switches to the last app that you ran. So if you double tap it a bunch of times, it just toggles between the last two apps that you have. Which is cool. So that's kind of nice. They said that like 90% of the time when people use the task switcher, they want to go back to the app that they were just in. So that's kind of a nice feature. Although it's yet another feature that they're adding where you have to know that it's there because there's no on-screen indication of it. Google used to be really good about this and Apple used to be really bad about it. But now uh, Google's getting bad about it too. They just updated their keyboard app as well, adding a bunch of new features. Like you can hold down your finger and move left and right on the space bar to move your cursor so that you don't have to actually tap on the screen. And they actually put numbers zero through nine at the top there so you don't have to toggle through a different screen now. So yeah, that's really smart, actually. They do that only if you're entering your password, I think. Otherwise... No, it, I saw that on my keyboard in a uh, different app. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's contextual, which I like. But another, another thing that they did was um, if you hold down your finger on the backspace key and you slide it left or right, then you can it highlights words, and you can choose how many words you want to delete when you lift your finger. So those, that's kind of nice too, but those are both features that you have to know that are there. There's no on-screen indication that those shortcuts exist. So that's getting unfortunate. We're, they're running out of screen space, but they keep adding new features. So for a power user, it's great, but for a common user, there's really no way to know that those features are there. Um, they are doing some under the hood kind of changes in Android N. They're doing a just-in-time compiler, which means that you don't have to pre-compile applications. So that means that apps are going to be about half as big. So that's nice for devices with limited storage. It also means that uh, installation is faster and the downloads are smaller and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of nice. Um, and oh, so they say that the final version is going to come later this summer, quote unquote. So that's kind of nice. I'm sure it'll be out in the next couple of months or so. Uh, maybe August, we'll see. But uh, that's pretty soon. They have a beta release candidate that you can, they said, is stable enough to use on your main phone. And it's for Nexus devices. But unfortunately, this is the first time the Nexus 5 that we have is too old to qualify for something like that. So our phone will get the new OS, but we can't try the beta. So that's too bad. I'd be using the beta right now if I could. Whatever. It's not the biggest deal. Um, so what else we got? Uh, oh, and one interesting thing is for the Google Play Store, which is the app store as well as for movies and for music and stuff, they're going institute, to institute a new policy in a couple of weeks that says that if you have, uh, if you set up like a family, uh, so you like associate people together so that you're a family, if, you, if one person buys the app, then everybody will own it. Same for movies and presumably for albums. 
So that's a really nice thing, because Bianca and I will occasionally both purchase a game if we both like it. So it'll be nice that we only have to buy it once now, and we both will get access to it. Not sure. I know that for um, movies, you can only have one family member watching it at a time. I don't know if the same will be true of apps. But it would be nice, for example, if we could buy a nice Twitter client, and then we both have access to it without us both having to pay for it. So we'll see how that goes. They announced some other shit, too. Virtual reality, couldn't give, couldn't care less. Um, they are doing a... Uh, they are making a virtual reality controller, which is sort of like a Wiimote, where you can like move it around in, uh, in, in space in front of you, and it will track your movements to some degree. But I don't care. Um, Android Wear, they made some announcements. They're releasing a new version of the operating system that's for watches. I don't care. They're releasing something called Google Home, which is like a Wi-Fi hotspot and a microphone and a speaker, which is for like uh, Internet of Things, home automation kind of stuff. Don't care. And they announced some other stuff, and I also don't care. So I don't care. There's a whole lot of not caring going on here, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah, I really didn't care about pretty much a single thing that they yes, had to announce. Did you, did you care about anything? Not. Don't care. I don't even care enough to say whether I cared now. That's how little I cared about the Google But I. you clearly won't shut up about it, so you can I know. care well, about it a bit. My caring is done. Yeah. I was extremely disappointed by the lack of anything interesting announced at Google I.O. They did announce a bunch of stuff for programmers, which I don't personally care about, but if it means higher quality apps, then that's cool. Um, they added some functionality to the Google Play App Store that allows developers to do um, beta testing a little bit easier and to collect beta feedback and also to get more feedback about app crashes and stuff like that. So that's good stuff, but I'm not a programmer, so I didn't pay too close attention to that, so whatever. Uh, what else we got? <laughs> At the beginning of this week, um, Rockstar Games announced that Grand Theft Auto V had sold its 65 millionth copy of Grand Theft Auto V. Like, that's crazy. 65 million copies. They announced that at the beginning of the week, and then they made an announcement at the end of the week that that announcement sold them another 2 million copies. That's funny. That's so this great. week they sold 2 million copies of GTA V. So that's 67 million copies of this game sold, which is bonkers. And isn't that more than some uh, game developers make that's more copies of the game than many developers make in one dollar bills <laughs> so that's really quite an achievement i'm sure it has a lot to do with the online functionality which you and i kind of played with a little bit yeah but yeah it wasn't our kind of thing but if you're into it it's definitely worth doing it was too structured we, we had fun playing grand theft auto 4 because it was a private server with just the two of us and you can run private servers in gta 5 but it has all these activities all over the place. It wasn't as much fun to just rampage. It's too structured for us. We, we just liked blowing other people up, and then invariably Bianca would blow me up, and then I'd blow her up, and then it would devolve into name-calling and, and uh, butt-slapping, <laughs> which I don't know if that was a bad thing. Uh, finally. Oh, finally? Finally. Oh, I just read this. This is real depressing. Today is the 10th anniversary of Half-Life 2 Episode 3 being announced by Valve. Um, they never do Episode 3. No, they never did. That's why this is depressing. They um, still have not... I know that there was, the, there was jokes about Half-Life 3, but like that's never going to happen. Exactly. Well, I think their initial intention was to release their episodes six months apart. So it took them like two or three years or something between episodes. I think it was a year and a half or two years between episodes. And then Half-Life 2 Episode 3 never came out. And despite a few sparse announcements, 
of them actually having a team working on Half-Life 3. They haven't made any actual announcements about what it contains or when it will come out or anything. I think at the last GDC, or maybe it was two GDCs ago, there was one guy who worked at Valve who was wearing a Half-Life 3 t-shirt, but it was just like a troll. So, yeah, we remain unfulfilled and unsatisfied without any conclusion to the story. Half-Life 2 ended on a cliffhanger. Episode 1 was a cliffhanger. Episode 2 ended with a cliffhanger. The biggest cliffhanger of all, I guess. And nothing. So that's kind of depressing. So come on, Valve. We want to buy your game. Supposedly, they their team got bored of making single-player games, which is where Left 4 Dead came from, and that's why they're working on stuff I don't give a shit about, like uh, Dota 2 and uh, Counter-Strike and Team Fortress 2. So they're all about multiplayer all of a sudden. So I'm, I, I, I'd be very surprised if Half-Life 3 or whatever the next thing to come out, I'd be surprised if they changed it from a single-player game. But it would suck if they made it some kind of a multiplayer thing, even a co-op thing. We, we need single-player experiences. At least they had Portal 2, which was single-player. That was a successful single-player, but it had a good multiplayer option too. That was a good... Yeah, it had a good co-op thing. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. So that's that. Um, you want to talk about this top thing? Let's bring up this top thing just briefly. I wouldn't mind revisiting this at some point, and I would love to hear feedback from you guys about what you think about this. This is kind of like an ethical, philosophical thing. Um, I read earlier this week that both McDonald's and Wendy's are going to do tests to replace their cashiers with self-service kiosks like tablets where you just kind of tap on a menu and you order what you want to order. Um, however, McDonald's and Wendy's kind of have different philosophies around the way they want to execute this. Wendy's is going to lay off staff. They are replacing their staff with these tablets. So I think the writing is on the wall for cashiers in fast food, uh, fast food restaurants at this point. Mm-hmm. If they could be re- like there, there's the the old uh, Linux administrators threat. Uh, be nice to me, I'll replace you with a very small shell script. So that's basically what's happening to these folks. They're being replaced with, with mm-hmm. self-service, whatever, like by an e-commerce kind of a kind of a, a, an interface. So Wendy's is replacing their staff, whereas McDonald's in their trial is doing something interesting. Um, instead of replacing their staff, they are having people walk up to the uh, counter to order and to pay. Then they sit at their table and then their staff give them table service. They bring the food up to the table for them. So they're maintaining the jobs. They're maintaining the human customer service uh, aspect. They're just kind of repurposing those staff. So that's really interesting. Um, And also on a related note, Google, who we all know has been working on self-driving car technology along with other companies, they are now applying that self-driving car technology to self-driving big rigs for long-distance travel. So not entirely sure what that's going to look like, um, if that's going to be like just highway travel or something, and then they have a, a human being park the vehicle or something like that. Who knows? Although that would be good on b- really busy highways, which means, A, they'll probably be more re- willing to anticipate sudden changes. B, they'll always be going under this. They'll be always going to regulate the space speed limit, which gives them a wider berth to stop. That's right. Well, because, plus they never have to sleep. Yeah, because th- those, those, as much as those are some really hardworking men and women, they are prone to human frailties, and that uh, which means that they can err in judgment, even if they if they do their job to the best of their abilities. That's right. So this is the topic I wanted to discuss with you a little bit: is the ethics behind this? Because 
these are these are kind of unskilled jobs or low skilled jobs that sure. are are kind of the low hanging fruit to replace with automation. So I'm wondering, what's your opinion on this? What is do we have an obligation as a society to reserve these jobs for human beings to pay them? Or if you are if you're going to if you're going to take away the job, then you're going to need guaranteed minimum income. Otherwise, you destroy the economy because if people aren't spending money, you destroy a lot of services and retail and, and industry that would otherwise have people paying into it. So you need people to have money. Unless you completely do away with money, there's no point in automating some of these jobs. Well, so the profits are going to go, the savings will go to the owners of the companies, of course. will continue to hoard it. Because once you start earning a certain amount of money, it's been, certain, it's been proven that people with a lot of money tend to really hoard the money rather than spread the wealth. Where, and so the so-called job makers aren't actually job makers. The people who create jobs are the people who are buying the goods and services. They're the people who make, who are middle class and lower class. People buying, who are spending more money because they can't buy the most they can't buy the nicest thing and so they buy the second nicest thing or they buy the most affordable thing which means that it's probably going to break so they're going to go back and buy something new they're the drivers of the economy they create the supply and they they create the demand which means that the supply needs to be met which creates jobs by spending money you create jobs and if you're getting rid of people having work if you get rid of these jobs that people had which gave them the ability to spend money you're going to be you're creating a domino effect that's going to uh, result in fewer people spending money. So see, at least McDonald's is recognizing that okay, we're getting rid of these jobs, but we're not getting rid of the, the people's ability to have a job at our restaurant. We're going to give them a new job. Okay, you're still going to work for us, but you know you're, you're no longer going to be pressing buttons on a machine. You're going to be taking this out to a table. Okay, well. Let's think around this then, because uh, we also have self-driving cars, which means that the jobs of taxi drivers and bus drivers, those are in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. in, in the next five to ten years, we're going to have to see what happens to jobs like those. True. Um, but those aren't low-skilled jobs. That's the thing is you also have jobs that aren't low-skilled that would be replaced. We're getting there, mm -hmm. yeah. But As, the, and the thing is – the other thing is, if you get rid of low-skilled to no-skilled jobs, it means that a lot of high school students may eventually may be uh, for, may not be able to get so-called real-world experience, which means that they're not going to be desirable for employers because they're not going to have, oh, you don't have uh, three years of any work experience from high school. I'm sorry, we don't want you. Sure. So it makes me wonder then. Yeah, will will jobs be replaced at the rate that they disappear? Will new jobs? reappear will society evolve in such a way that some jobs it's like a churn some jobs disappear while other jobs are created due to technologies and services of the future maybe but it's going to be a lot more skilled jobs and jobs that require some sort of education because mm -hmm. if you're getting rid of road to if you're replaced if you're automating unskilled work eventually there's the people who uh, don't necessarily believe that they want get believe that they want to continue their schooling are going to be left out they should have people should have the right to choose whether they continue if they want to have an education or not yeah of course and education doesn't mean sitting in a classroom learning from a book and a teacher i mean are we going to eventually replace yeah, it could be trade school or it could be work experience mm -hmm. equivalency this is true apprenticeship 
Um, what if... So on the other end, I guess, because you, you're correct to say that you need people spending money in order to stimulate the economy. Yeah, because once you have a certain amount of wealth and you're just saving it, you're not spending that money because you probably already bought the best thing that you of that... You already bought the best one, you know, let's see. Hmm, what's the best thing? Okay, you bought, like, the best friggin' couch in the universe. You're not going to need to buy new furniture. You have, like, the best of everything, so you don't ever buy anything, and you're and you're happy with what you have. Okay. So you're not going to spend any money. If people all own exactly what they need, no one's going to spend money, which means no one's going to want to buy stuff, which means there's no point in making stuff. Or at least if they're making stuff, it'll be, a very, it'll be very few companies who will be willing to take the risk. Okay. Well, I mean, there's still marketing that convinces people that whether whatever they have is insufficient. So something wearing out isn't the only reason why we get something new, like me with my smartphone. True. I'm just bored of it, which is what you call a first world problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what if then? If you but if you were bored with your phone, would you be able to replace it if you didn't have a decent paying job? No, it's a luxury for me to be able to consider getting a new phone. Yeah, because if you if you're if they're because because you start with the basics and then you work your way up to being able to afford these luxuries. Right. And so if you don't if uh, there's someone at the bottom who doesn't have a job, it means that they're spending less money, which means that other industries where they, this person might have spent money aren't going to have that money, which means that there's going to be few people making cell phones. So it means that even if you had a job, that the price of cell phones may go up because there's uh. The supply is dwindling because demand has gone down. Yes, perhaps. Which means that the value of whatever is out there has gone up. Ah, uh, smartphones are another example, and that's that's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, enterprise. It's an interesting uh, product ecosystem because. Uh, it's kind of a lose-lose situation for the people making them. Um, people are always demand less expensive smartphones, and that means that the people creating them, the people in the factories, are underpaid and are and have abusive work environments, um, and work in dangerous environments that are just like the, the least amount of money possible to make the most quantity possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest company that's making uh, that's assembling smartphones, I believe, both Apple. And Samsung and probably others too. They use a big manufacturing company called Foxconn from China. Yeah, I remember the name. So they're notorious for having worker revolts and stuff like that. And a ra- and rash of worker suicides. Not yeah, and low pay and stuff. I think they have like worker housing at the factory and stuff, so that you can work and live in the same place. Mm-hmm. It's kind of freaky stuff. Um, Almost cultish, it sounds like. Yeah, it is kind of. So they're starting to replace a lot of workers with machines mm-hmm. that don't need to sleep. That just need their maintenance is less expensive than a human being's cost of living, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's that's all about like American North American consumers, first world consumers wanting to pay less to get the same thing or to get more things. Yeah, that's just that's just the way the world is going. Same with like you know, $1 smartphone games and stuff like that, free-to-play games. That's just the way the world goes. Mm-hmm. Piracy and all that, screaming. Anyway, um, so if we can make, if we can manufacture things for less money by automation, by robotics and uh, self-service and stuff like that, uh, what if that makes the product itself less expensive, which means that people need less money to get the things that they want um, and they can spend it elsewhere? 
sounds like it could happen, but the corporate greed is rampant, and bottom line is everything. They they answer the shareholders. They're beholden to the uh, stockholders. This is true. Public companies are. True, but uh, if you're a public company and you're making billions, you're probably going to want to uh, have uh, IPOs. Yeah. Often they do. So... So it's a complicated issue. It's a really complicated issue. Listeners, we'd love to hear your opinion on this, whether... It's basically about the does mankind owe it to itself to uh, to hold back technology for the benefit of employment and uh, to keep workers employed. Um, I uh, actually I don't believe that we need to hold back technology. I think we need to accept that at a certain point we need to have a guaranteed minimum income. That way you have some people who have jobs, you have other people who then volunteer, you have people who don't necessarily go out into the workplace, but they uh, fulfill something, another cog in the wheel. Like you get more homemakers, people who who are, who are willing to uh, take care of, you know, vol- uh, just volunteer and take care of the uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Is if you have people who know that they have a guaranteed income, but, you know, say, okay, you have a guaranteed income, but here, volunteer some of your time once a week. Or, uh, you know, tie that... In it's minimum. optimistic. I know. Just saying that instead of uh, making it, you know, welfare, it's just a minimum income that everyone gets. For what? Just for being a citizen? Yeah. For being a citizen. And it's... Uh, you still pay tax on your your income. Mm-hmm. And we still have... But... I don't know. I think if we got rid of money and then you just had, like, everyone... There's a, you know, Star Trek. That would be perfect. But Communism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Communism, but not necessarily uh, without free market. Oh, so capitalist communism. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can still have goods and services. You don't necessarily need money. You can, you know, tr- you know, you can be a writer. and You, so you mean, like, guaranteed minimum quality of life. Yeah. Guaranteed basics of life. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows that they can go to the doctor, mm-hmm. and the doctor knows that he he or she could has gone to school and benefited from the knowledge of others. Like a sharing economy, like you share your knowledge, mm-hmm. you share you whatever you have, you give to you give to the people. So if you know how to write, you become a writer. You somehow you know you write either communication for your uh, workplace or you write literature or you create art. Mm-hmm. So you, so instead of being a corporate, a society driven to uh, produce just because we have to. We become a society that produces what it wants to. So, you know, if you want to go to work and you want to, uh, you know, make, make uh, you know, some invention and sell it, you should be able to. Just as someone should be able to go and make art and create and create culture. Okay. So we're not confined to uh, working, uh, you know, nine to five in a corporate environment to uh, make profits just to make money. That's basically It would on- be nice. It would be nice if automation allowed us to do that a little bit more. It would be nice if automation meant that we could get paid for the same amount for fewer hours of work. Mm-hmm. And that would probably kind of, that would be like the, the high tide that floats all boats. It would mean that we could spend more time with families and kind of cultivate better better, more capable children. 
who will be healthier and will be mm-hmm. more just yeah, be able to in, produce better things in the future. Yeah, because then you release science from the grip of profit, and then you're mo- and then people are willing to, t- and then you have people doing research because they want to find out why. Mm-hmm. Interesting topic. So, folks, we would love to hear from you on this topic. It's to some degree, I suppose, like a leftist versus right wing kind of a, a topic, but it's also kind of a science fiction, science fact, kind yeah. of a, a, an inevitability, the sort of thing that we're going to have to think about. Mm-hmm. Anyone says left versus right? It's just that to some degree, it can it can it could be seen that way. Yeah, because you can be a left, you can be a leftist in many respects, but still believe in free market capitalism. Mm-hmm. You can be right and believe in not, uh, you know. Controlled markets and control and uh, and tight regulations. Yeah, I suppose so. Like you can be mixed in ideology. So, give us your thoughts and or uh, be happy to tell us if we're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you find any flaws in what we're proposing, I don't know. We're kind of being what if here, but yeah. we we'd love to hear your opinion on the on the matter. Mm-hmm. All right. That being said, how'd you like to tell us what you played this week? Okay. Let's see. What did I play this week? Um. I played Sanctuary RPG Black Edition. Oh, yeah, we both did. We got that for like a dollar on the uh, Humble sale. That Humble was pretty cool. Sale. That's fun. It is it's cool. It's nice pick it up, play, die, go fuck this, and close it. Yeah, it's like a hardcore strategy RPG. I got pretty far, and I died. Yeah, me too. Well, I don't know if I got pretty far, but I think my longest living character was about 45 minutes. Uh, what level did you get to? I don't remember. It tells you, and there's a log that you can view, though, that says how long, how many minutes each of your characters live. So yeah. mine were both about 45 minutes, my longest one. Yeah. Well, I defeated the terminal, so that's that's something. Oh, yeah, I, I got I got quite a bit past that, actually. Me too. Let's see, what else did I oh. play? Oh, why don't we talk a little bit about that game, though, because it's really interesting. This game looks like a BBS door game, sort of. It, it's like an MS-DOS text mode kind of a game, which is really strange. Um, you play by, like, pressing 1 enter or Y enter, that kind of a thing. It's like a, a text uh, command prompt prompt parser sort of a thing. And so there's no... The only graphics are, like, ASCII graphics. So it's like Green Dragon, but more ASCII artish. Yeah, Legend of the Green Dragon. That's, a, that's an example of a BBS door game, so-called, because your dial-up BBS server software would have to exit... And launch another application, uh, aka like open a door to another application. Ah, interesting. Yeah, it was an odd analogy. Mm-hmm. So that's a really fun one. I very much recommend it. And um, I don't know if it was just a humble store bo- uh, bonus or what, but when we bought it, it came with um, the soundtrack. And the soundtrack is like an MP3 soundtrack, a synthesized soundtrack, which seemed kind of inconsistent to me. With the look of the game, it, would, it should have been like a PC speaker or like a three-voice tandy kind of a soundtrack, if you ask me. But it's not a high-tech soundtrack. But the uh, humble version that we got came with a piano rendition of the soundtrack in MP3 format, which is really cool. It's actually pretty in piano. So that, that was a neat little bonus. All right, what else did you play? Um, let's see. We played some Guild Wars 2 earlier today. That was yeah, fun. we played for an hour or so. I should have rolled a range guy, but whatever. Well, we'll kill our characters and make new ones, I guess. Okay. Um, I also started Risen. I got a humble bundle of a bunch of games for a dollar. I still say that sounds like some kind of a Christian <laughs> preaching <laughs> simulator. Yeah, I tried it. It's pretty interesting, but I think I'll just go to Risen 2 just because it's newer. 
Okay. RPGs often rely on your knowledge of what happened in the previous games, though. They're, like, serialized. Do you think I give two fucking shits what happened in the previous game? I skip over 99% of the dialogue, unless it's World of Warcraft newest expansion. Yeah, really. And Bianca's really- like, I'm in the mood for an RPG. She loads up Risen 2. Opening cinematic where they tell you all the story. Skip, skip, skip. <laughs> <laughs> You're off to a great start there, Toots. Welcome to the wonderful world of RPGs. I I like the fan. I like playing the fantasy world. It, these people talk way too much. Yeah, they, well, it's a German RPG. Those Germans, they love adventure games. They love RPGs. They love going blah 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 blah. They also have the. They also have a very verbose language that's uh, filled with extremely unnecessarily long words. Yeah, that's right. I think they. That maybe that's why they're so verbose in English. They have to replace. Their one eloquent word with 17 of our <laughs> me, big, dumb guy, shoot you words. The Germans probably have one word for a light green orc wielding a gigantic club who does not like corn on the cob. Happy pepper! <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so let's see. I also played Time Mysteries 2, The Ancient Spectres. This would be... <laughs> <laughs> my fun the shit game. Uh-huh. And I finished um, the, a game that was released just this month. Yes. The Secret Order 3 Ancient Times. Okay. Secret Order 3 Ancient Times and Time Mysteries 2 The Ancient Spectres. Those two titles are like exactly the same <laughs> words in a different order. True. Both by both are Artifacts Monday games. They them and Jet Dog Studios make pretty good uh, find the shit game. They're uh, they're not completely like just the uh, hidden object scene. They also have some uh, point and click event. They also have some point and click elements. So they they've moved away from the strictly here's a scene with a million objects that all look the same and kind of start blending together and make your eyes bleed if you stare at the screen long enough. Mm-hmm. So they start. They kind of moved away a bit from that. You still have hidden object scenes, but they're mixed in with a lot of, uh, you know, find these objects in like five different scenes, bring them all to this one, and make the magical dingus go sparkle, and then open <laughs> up another puzzle. Yeah. So it's just a series of puzzles tied together with some baloney. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but I did play the. Uh, I did play the Secret Order in. Order. I started with. I didn't have Secret Order one, the first one, because it wasn't on Steam. Ah. But I started, I played the second one and then the third one. However, did you keep up with that scintillating story? <laughs> well, I know that the, the dragon clan was at war with the Griffin, with the Griffin's clan. Oh, and, yeah, the lizards are angry <laughs> at the birds? Yep. Wow. And we'll find out the, the thrilling conclusion in The Secret Order 4. The ancient time of timely ancient times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Although that is right in line with our topic of casual games. Yep. This so week. before we get into that, why don't you tell the uh, nice listeners what you what the stupid crap you played this week? Oh, why don't I? Because I don't want to. Okay. Okay, I'll tell you. I played this week. I finished uh, the new Doom by id Software. What's left of them, or what what uh, they reformed? That's a really good game. That's a really really good game. Um, I talked a bunch about it last week. I don't want to go into too much detail, but. I did mention last week that, you know, it had the big shoes to fill and all of that. You know, just call a game Doom unless you're going to make it Doomy and make it very, very good. Make the engine exceptional and the the art great and the tone really uh, dark and evil. 
Um, it's got to have good shooting and uh, good speed. Big shoot the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so it has all that stuff. It's really, really good. And boy, the end, the end boss is awesome. Wasn't that hard. The game wasn't that hard. I played it on the second hardest difficulty, whatever it is. Hurt me plenty, I think. Nightmare was above that. There were like two or three nightmare modes. I don't know. And two of them are unlocked. I played it on like the normal difficulty, which is what I usually play games on. Not hard, not easy anymore. Uh, wasn't that hard. Um, what am I going to say about it? Honestly, go watch. Uh, I'm going to put this in the show notes. Go watch Lazy Games Review. Games Review. Boom. Uh, LGR uh, says a lot of good stuff about uh, the new Doom game, which I agree with very much. Um, and he shows it to you as well. Ooh. Ooh. I want to give a special shout-out, though, to the music in that game. Um, the music is really, really cool. It's, like, really grungy, distorted metal kind of stuff. Um, it, it was great. It was really great. The whole game was really great. Go play that game. You may not want to pay full price for it. It'll come down eventually. I've heard that the multiplayer is boring. I don't really give a shit. I don't play multiplayer stuff. I find multiplayer boring in general. But the single player is really great. Um, right now that I have finished the single player game, it allows me to go back and redo missions. There's a lot of secrets that you can look for on each map. And unlocking secrets gives you new abilities and adds... Uh, alternative fire and different uh, modifiers to your weapons as well. Um, I mostly kind of sped through the levels, and I didn't have too much trouble. In fact, I had more points than I really cared to spend getting to the end of the game. If I wanted to, I could do the cleanup and look for that stuff. I found all the stuff on the very first map. There must be about 20 or 25 maps or so. It's a nice number of maps. Um, it's a very different pace, though, when you're running around looking for secrets. You're really... You're not fighting. You're looking at little dark areas and you're climbing things and you're trying to circumnavigate the, the levels and all of that. It's a lot of fun, but it's not necessarily what I'm looking for in a Doom game. So I really appreciate then that they give you the opportunity to play the game one way or the other. You can play it fast and furious or you can play it slow and methodically. So really good game. Really good game. Um, I continued playing the preposterous awesomeness of everything, which is that really odd looking, uh, kind of, uh, photo, photographic scrapbook art style, very silly British adventure game, point and click adventure game. It's really funny. I'm about, I'm almost two hours into it. I don't know how much more there is to go. I meant to finish it by now. Um, I'll finish it this long weekend. Yay. Long weekend. Yay. Me too far. Yay. Except we don't drink. No, but uh, we can have a 2-4 Red Bull. Oh, yes, we'll do that. Oh, jeez, we'd be so freaking wired if we did. Who cares? Yeah, it's a long weekend. That's maybe. right, we're supposed to be wired. Um, so, that's that, that game is very, very cute and very, uh, it's very funny. And it has a great sense of individuality, of personality. Really, really cute game. Um, did I put that in the show notes last week? Yes. Whatever, preposterous... What the hell is this ridiculous name called? Preposterous awesomeness of everything. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Go get it. It's very cute. Um, finally, I have played... Oh, I noticed this on the Steam store. I don't know how long it's been out for. It's called Glorkian Warrior, The Trials of Glork. Pardon me. Please don't interrupt me while I am saying the title of this stupid game. Glorkian Warrior, 
the trials of Glork. <laughs> so Bong, the trials of Thud. Exactly. <laughs> it's um, it's kind of like a uh, asteroid space invaders sort of a old school arcadey shooting game, bottom up shooting game, where you just move left and right and you shoot the uh, aliens that are lining up at the top of the screen. Um, it's pretty good the controls, uh, but it's really got a funny presentation. What uh, drew me to it was, well, number one, it was like a dollar or two. And number two, it is illustrated by one of my favorite comic book artists, game, James Kachalka. He made an awesome uh, comic book that I love called Super Fuckers, which is about um, these really foul-mouthed, drug-abusing uh, teenagers, like high school teenagers who are superheroes. They're, it's really funny and dirty and insulting. Um <laughs> So it's a really cute game, and it's got uh, it's got dialogue between playthroughs, which you can skip or read, and it's uh, it's like kind of cute and childish, just like you. Yeah, exactly. Except not cute. Exactly. So it strikes a chord with me. So did we really play anything else this week? I have a hankering, and we'll see whether I uh, act on it to play uh, Elite Dangerous, especially after listening to uh, the latest Dust Nostalgia podcast. Hello, Anatoly. He had Brian, the Space Games Junkie, I believe is his name. He's a really amusing guy. That's a very funny podcast. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it, and they're talking all about space games uh, for DOS. So they got me thinking about Privateer and games like that. They talked a bit about Elite and Frontier and games of the like. I think it was oh yeah, specifically space trading games that they talked about. So it kind of put me in the mood to play something like that. I... Uh, Recently picked up or like started playing Wing Commander 3, and for some reason it doesn't like my gamepad that much. When I move the gamepad joysticks to the extremities, I don't turn as fast as I should, and uh, I have an issue with the keyboard controls as well. (laughs) And I don't remember what the issue was. So I want to play some Wing Commander or something, so maybe I'll pick up Elite Dangerous again. I put a lot of time into that game. It's really slow. It's really freeform. And you have to be in the mood for it, sort of. I've been away from Elite Dangerous so long that I don't really remember where I was going or what my stuff does or who I am. Um, so maybe I have to restart. Weren't you, you know, going to, uh, I don't know. Bajoji? Bajoji after Yeast Boy? Bajoji. That's, one, that's, the, that's the most memory, memorable thing that I did. I had to go to a, a star system called Bajoji and kill some roguish guy called Yeast Boy. So I, I think I tried to kill Yeast Boy, but he I couldn't find him. That game is super complicated. Ah, oh, screw you, dude. That game is very complicated. I put I, I put at least a dozen or two hours into that game. In fact, let's see how long I played that game. Elite Dangerous. Oh, I played it for nine hours since it came onto Steam. And before that, I probably put in another... 10 or 20 hours. Really, really, really good game. Tons of depth, but so much depth that just like landing my ship took me a lot of practice. And it was extremely rewarding when I figured it out. I'm sure the same is true for all kinds of stuff. There's some expansion out for Elite Dangerous, which I did not purchase just because I felt like I hadn't even scratched the surface of the original game. Um, And it was like 40 or 50 bucks or something. I didn't play it enough anymore to warrant that. So maybe I'll put some time into that again. That was a really cool game, and it's so beautiful. Really good one. All right, well, what the hell? Let's get into our regular topic, shall we? Yes, we shall. We wrote... 
at the beginning of this week, week when we thought of this topic, you wrote down two things. Time management games and find the shit. <laughs> Sounds like something stupid I do. It would. But now we have something like 39 games on our list. We're not talking about 39 games, at least not in one not in one show. We'll revisit this if we have to. So let's just talk about what's pertinent, and then we'll come back to stuff. Sure, no problem. So before we go into the list of games, how would you define a casual game? I would define a casual game as a game that has no plot, typically doesn't really fall into a specific genre, and doesn't and can be picked up easily at any point in time, no matter how long it's been between playthroughs. Doesn't doesn't fall into a specific genre. Yeah, it doesn't really fall into a specific genre, because it doesn't really you know I wouldn't really say they don't really seem like horror or or adventure, for the most part. Like oh, you mean like a thematic genre? Yeah. Like they don't really have thematic genres. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's that's uh, fair enough if that's your if that's your definition. Mm-hmm. So me, I kind of struggled with this because it's sort of a category that uh, evolves over time. Um, when I think about it, like old '80s arcade games, those are sort of casual games just because they might have one or two buttons at most, and after you play for sixty seconds, you pretty much know almost everything you need to know from the meaning of the game to the end. But uh, are they casual? I don't know, because some of them are fast-paced, some of them are very difficult. Casual games can be difficult, I suppose, but... But usually it's escalating difficulty. Yeah, usually I think you would make gradual, consistent progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... And you don't really... And like I said, you... And it can be picked up at any time, even if you haven't played it for a while. Yeah, that's true, too. So it's a tricky one to define. I have some games on my list that do have a plot and do have like a thematic genre or tone or mood. Um, But those are largely like evolutions of what used to be like one simple idea. It's tricky. So maybe let's talk about the games that we have on our list and maybe as we discuss them, it will become evident to us what the genre or what, what a casual game really means. Okay. But I think in the end, it's basically something that you can pick up and play quickly. Maybe you can have a full game of it or a few of them. And it's something that's satisfying if you play a little bit or a lot of it. Very true. But one thing these games all have in common, they all have one core objective. They don't have like a bunch of small objectives. Like they just have like the one big objective and that's it. I have some games that have varied objectives on here, but it's debatable whether those are really casual games. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I might have stretched the definition of casual games with some of the stuff I put on here. Mm-hmm. Like, you might have, uh, in some of the games, you might have, like, small uh, step milestones to achieve, but overall, you you have, like, one sole objective from beginning to end. Right. You might have to do it in different ways. So I, let's start with the first one on my top of the list, is Cook, Serve, Delicious. Yeah. You have one objective... Feed the hungry people. Well, no, that's not your one objective. Your one objective is to manage a restaurant. True, which is, and at the end to manage a restaurant, you have to feed the hungry people. That's how you manage it. Well, there's other things you do, too. You have to clean the restaurants. You have to clean the dishes. You have to clean the toilets. You don't have to manage the finances, and you don't... Do you have to procure groceries? I don't remember. No, I don't think so, but no. you do have to build your menus. You build the menu. So, so basically, you're... 
you manage the restaurant and uh, you and the owner is the one who takes care of everything else. Oh no, you're the assistant manager in a restaurant. That's what oh, it sounds like. That's a good way to put it. You're basically it's like the assistant manager simulator because you don't get to touch any money. You just take people's money. You do everything else. Yeah, yeah. You kind of keep the restaurant from falling apart. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You want to talk a little about Cook Serve Delicious? Bmog. That's yes. <laughs> Bmog. It's the game where you can where you don't have to do anything special. All you do to construct your uh, meals is you use uh, your mouse to start the uh, interaction and then the keyboard to uh, select the ingredients you need to put on the uh, item that you're making. I usually keep mine simple, hence BMOG, because everyone loves salads. Yeah, that's right. BMOG was what? Bacon? It was like bacon, lettuce, onion, and... and, Cheese, cheese or something. Yeah. yeah. Each of those, t- typing each of those letters in the right order, thus BMOG, uh, puts, yeah, it, it builds the salad. True. You don't even need to place them in the right order. That's just the order I did it in. Oh, okay. Some of them you have to do in the right order. Others, it doesn't matter. Some, if, once you, yeah, each screen. You don't want to put a hamburger patty on top of the top bun. Um, you can do that. And it's just, it's fine. I don't think they accept it. Uh, you think you have some other game where you can't? Maybe I am. I don't know. We 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 played enough of that game so that we got very sick of it, mm-hmm. like forever. Although I did, I managed to get last long enough to get into the competition aspect. Oh yeah, you you played a lot more than I did. You got pretty far. You were very good at it. You're better than I was at that game. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a really good game, um, and it's sort of a WarioWare sort of a thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where where you. Um, like the mini games are basically all the same. You look to see what the objectives are, and you press the buttons in the right order, or at least you press the right buttons and don't press the wrong buttons. Mm-hmm. So, like washing the dishes, you have to like press left, right, left, right, up, or something like that. And so you do that a few times. Left, right, up, left, right, up. If you want to do those as quickly as you can, that way you don't get uh, penalized. And you ha- and the reason you do all this stuff is because you might get a random inspection, and you have to pass the inspection. That's right. And then people will place their orders. And so you have to set up an order by pressing a bunch of buttons, and then you leave it for a while while you do something else, and you have to let it cook for a certain amount of time, and if it's undercooked or overcooked by doing coming back to it in too little or too much time, then the order is subpar and your rating goes down. Mm-hmm. And certain and some foods are best served in the morning, some at night, and you can't always serve alcohol because you're in a business building, or people won't buy alcohol during the day. Yeah. And then you get rushes at uh, lunch and dinner. Yeah, so it's essentially a time management game, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah, why don't we define time management game? You're, it's obvious a game with an obvious clock where you have to achieve a certain number of tasks to meet a basic goal, and then you can go above that goal by uh, meeting the basic goal within a time frame. Yeah, you want to do as much as you can in yeah. a finite amount of time, but each task takes amount, an amount of time, so you have to... Yeah. Order and stack your your actions uh, efficiently. Mm-hmm. But you you have a base. You have your the minimum amount of tasks you have to do in that time frame too. Like it's beacon to pass that level. Right. Okay. So that's cook serve delicious anyway. And that's a fun game. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. All you see are the people coming in. They all look the same. Yes, they do. All right. You want to take the next one on the list? Okay. Should we just go in the order that? We seem to have written them down. Sure. Jones on Fire. This is a really casual game. There's all, all the... You, your name is Jones. You're a fireman. And you rescue cats. 
That's so right. you run through this flaming woods. You don't actually put out the fire. You just run through the woods picking up cats. Yeah, really. You're not a very good fireman. No. You just let the fire burn behind you. Mm-hmm. It's, so that's like an endless runner game. Yeah. It's like a one-tap smartphone kind of a game. Mm-hmm. With upgrades that you buy by playing over and over, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a few games like that we like. We didn't really... We, we put, I think, all uh, computer games on our list, didn't we? Yeah. But... Uh, it's very similar to other Endless Runner games like uh, Jetpack Joyride or there must be other Endless Runner games we played. Actually, I wouldn't call this Endless Runner because each level is a fixed sp- a fixed uh, length. Oh, okay, fair you- enough. But it's like a runner game, meaning you're always running in one direction. You can't turn around. You can't stop. And all you can do is jump usually. Come here, birdie. Actually, oh. you, uh, if you, you have to actually hold down the button to run. Why? What happens if you don't hold down the button? The fire gets you and you die. Well, right. So you must run. Mm-hmm. You must always run. Ugh. Where is shit? Behind you. Lovely. <laughs> Let me wipe that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, duty. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. All right. What else do you have to say about Jones on Fire? I can bite the doors for the cats. Oh, yeah. You can put cats. You can put hats on the cats? Yeah. And that needs to be rescued? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big bonus. Mm-hmm. But yep, every level gets more gets harder, and so you have to jump over obstacles. You run under obstacles, and then there's also a, 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 a incremental milestones that you can hit. There's milestones for running through the fire and, and uh, catching yourself on fire. Oh, so it's like a similar to Jetpack Joyride. You don't just do the exact same thing every time. It gives you little. Uh, uh, it gives you little bonus tasks yeah. that reward you. Mm-hmm. For taking risks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or for dodging X number of obstacles or for picking up a certain number of cats. Come here, Tootie. <laughs> All right. So then next is Bejeweled. What oh, the big granddaddy of casual games, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Match three. Match three. Not the first match three game to exist by a long shot, but probably no. the most famous one ever mm-hmm. by PopCap. Yep. yep, the most well-known. You are pushing your luck, sweet little birdie. It landed on my monitor. There you go, baby. Bejeweled. You have a grid of jewels, and you have to switch the places of jewels to put three in a row, which makes them disappear, kind of Tetris style. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to keep matching jewels until... Well, the big flaw of Bejeweled is the the way that you lose the game, which is very arbitrary. You just kind of keep playing until the random piece generator decides not to make any viable matches. There's really no... You ba- you basically play until it tells you you've lost. True, but uh, it also takes a bit of strategy because if you uh, can see several matches and you make one wrong match, you may effectively lock yourself out, even if those matches, if you had made a different match in the last move, would have resulted in better matches. Mm-hmm. Come here, Tootie. Stop tooting. <laughs> so it's very, very well polished. Um, I love the music in the Bejeweled games so much. They are made... Why can't I remember his name? That's terrible. They're made by um, Future Crew demo scene uh, musician Skaven. Look at this friggin' brat. Get the hell off my monitor, you little piece of feather poop. Mwah, you silly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a relaxing, nice game. Uh, the, the further into the future they, the sequels get, um, the more play styles there are. It has... Variations on the theme. It has uh, 
completely different types of ways to play. Like it had visual poker. It had uh, the, the archaeology digging thing where you have to get shapes out of the ground by matching, uh, by matching gems next to the thing that you want to destroy. Uh, what are some other variations? Lightning round, a uh, freezing, uh, and then there's uh, like strategic puzzles where you have to uh, match your gems in such a way that you can clear a puzzle. Like there's yeah. one where you have to get like, equal numbers of uh, get off the microphone, red and uh, blue gems to keep it balanced. Oh yeah, I like the poker one myself. That one you have to like match. For example, like three red pieces and two blue pieces, and that would be a full house. Or uh, match, there's five different colors, and you have to match one of each one, and that would be like a, a, a straight. Or match five of the same one, it would be a flush. That was a really strategic kind of a one, and it's also based on luck, but uh, you can set up... It's like, it's based on luck to some degree, but you can at least manage the next one or two matches that you're going to get to sort of set yourself up yeah. for... And you can success? sometimes take you can sometimes take a dive round to prepare for a really good round. Mm -hmm. If you can see what you're doing, you can uh, you can sometimes make a sacrifice. Yeah, but as far as the the main game goes, you just kind of play until it tells you that you lose. Which is why, in terms of match three games, we didn't put this on the list. And I don't think there's a PC version. But my favorite match three game is Zookeeper, which I played on mobile. But first, I played on the Nintendo DS. Mm -hmm. um, same kind of game, match three sort of a game, but interestingly, when there are no more viable matches on the board, instead of losing and having to start over, it gives you like bonus points for getting yourself into that state, and then it, re like, it randomizes the board for you. Yeah. You only lose if you can't make a match yourself, which is nice. Yeah, that's right. You have a timer, and every time you make a match, it gives you a little extra time, and the higher your level, the faster the time ticks down. Mm -hmm. And your boss is Japanese. It's a, it's a very Japanese game, though. Your boss looks exactly like Hitler. Yeah. Let me. I'm gonna make that the uh, zookeeper. I'm gonna put that in the show notes. But uh, Japanese zookeeper Hitler is going to be our uh, our uh, episode image <laughs> du jour. Okay. And he's even doing like the Sig Heil kind of a salute. No, anyway. I think he looks like he's just bashing his shoe on the desk. Look at this. I'm gonna show you so that you can zookeeper game. Look at this. He's doing the salute, dude. I mean, he's holding a he's holding oh, a cigar. He's holding a cigar. I swear, in a game, I thought he, he, he was bashing his shoe on the desk. Oh, <laughs> he has the mustache, and he's holding his cigar straight out. He's doing the salute. It's too funny. Mm -hmm. It's too funny. Oh my gosh, that's just uncanny. That's really disturbing. <laughs> you guys will see. Well, you'll probably you've probably seen by now because anyway. Oh, look at this, Zookeeper DX. Where's the cigar? He's just doing the salute. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so wrong. Anyway, <laughs> we digress most horribly. Yes. Um, I'm gonna, uh, do you want to do the next one? I have no idea what it is. Ooh, I'm going to do the next one, even though it probably doesn't belong here in terms of the order that we're talking. I have a game on here that's going to push the definition of casual games, and it doesn't exist anymore as far as I know. It's called Free Realms, which I believe was made by Sony. It was a free, massively multiplayer online game. It is one of the first free-to-play MMORPGs I can think of. It I don't know if it was the very first, but... Was it that one that like penalized us if we tried to write damn? Probably. Well, this is the one where you couldn't even choose your own name. You had to choose your name from a list of... Like a first name and a last name. Yeah. And they had different lists. 
And so I was like, I forget what my name was, Brian something. Yeah. Oh, so oh, I already know the game you're talking about. Oh, that was uh, that's you're really pushing the limits on that. Well, so the reason I bring it up here is so it was a massively multiplayer game, and it has like a big kind of an overworld with. Uh, it does have some combat in it. Um, did I should say past tense? Why I put this into the casual uh, games though is that some of the individual tasks you could do kind of fit within the realm of casual games. So, I mean, this was a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, but for crafting, if you wanted to craft something, it would be a match-three game that you would play in a limited time, and that would show you the quantity and the quality of the thing that you crafted. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you just had the the materials and you watched a progress bar, and there was a randomized percentage that told you whether you, like, critical it or something to make a really nice object. No, it was based on your performance doing a little match three game, uh, whether you cook a super cake or something like that. Um, it had some other things as well. It had, uh, it had like a really good demolition derby Mario Kart sort of a, a parlor game that you could just play with other people. And I think you got bonuses for winning. You got rewards for winning. Um, and it had, like, the exploration and all of that. In the overworld itself, there was no combat. There was no way to lose. And even if you lose, like, there's very... It was a very low... Uh, a very low uh, uh, death penalty. It wasn't yeah. even death. It wasn't even a death penalty, because it was clearly for uh, children, given that... Uh, it was a kid's game. Yeah. But it was a very, very well-polished game. Um, and a, a lot of fun. But the thing that it did... The two things that it did that were really unique in an otherwise very crowded genre. I mean, other than it doing it before a lot of other games did it, was um, it, uh, well, number one, it was like free to play, which was unheard of at the time. But also the fact that it, uh, the fact that it replaced those progress bars with uh, with uh, mini games, with casual games themselves. Mm-hmm. So that was really quite something. Yeah, it was, it was terrific. Um, it wasn't, it didn't, uh, it was humongously popular for a little while, and then I think they had a high churn rate where a lot of people were were stopping and never coming back, and so then they changed the combat from like traditional MMORPG kind of combat to a more uh, console-y, side-scroll-y sort of a action game, and that wasn't enough to save it, so I'm pretty sure it's gone now. Um, I'm going to see if I can find a YouTube video that illustrates it, because it had a lot of extremely smart ideas. Okay. All right. Anyway, that's enough about that. Okay. Let's see. Down the list. Well, we got two cat games. Because, All yours, Toots. Yeah. First one is Cat Goes Fishing. You're a cat. You're a fishing rod. You go fishing. That is essentially the entire game. Although you have, like, um, objectives to, you know, catch, like, a certain type of fish, essentially all you're doing is just fishing with this cat. <laughs> and you can uh, control how far you throw your lure you get uh, you can get upgrades that, t- that that dictate you know the quality of your uh, rod. No snicker. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's there's not much to say about it. It's really a casual game. You're a cat and you fish. You said rod. <laughs> and then the next one is cat lateral damage. You are once again a cat, and this time you're you're first you're you're catting in first person, and you run around. With your sole objective to be knocking everything you can off the shelves and just being destructive. Of course, you can also, you know, just not do anything. You can sleep. You can use a litter box. You can meow at nothing. Was there a meow button? Yes, there's a meow button. There's a, of course, if you get this game on Steam, there's an achievement from meowing 50 times into into nothing. Oh, geez. I wonder whether you got that achievement. (laughs) 
There's um, an achievement for not being destructive. Mm-hmm. There's an achievement for and then to progress to the next levels. You can uh, you um you knock everything down. You just run around like a cra- like crazy cat. It was really cute. They came at power ups too, didn't it? Yeah. Modify the physics or something like that. Oh, what yeah. did the power ups do? Mm-hmm. Like you got if you picked up catnip, it would make you like no grab. It would like take away gravity and make you all like walk, like loopy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you could uh, find like little items that gave you like super hidden levels, like a uh, grocery level, and some and you would have objectives to like knock down certain items in a fixed amount of time, and then you would uh, be able to uh, then run rampant in the grocery store. But if you didn't get all those items, you lost. Mm-hmm. It was basically um, re envisioned version of Katamari Damashi, wasn't it? Yeah. Very similar, except that instead of rolling things up, you knock them off of shelves or knock them over. Yeah. Super cute. And I think it was a kickstarted game it where was. there was a backer reward to send them a picture of your cat. So there's photograph or there's different playable cats and photographs of cats throughout the game. Yeah, and if you and collecting them all unlocks these cat be playable and they all have slightly different physics. Mm. Kitty kiss kitty physics. Oh, it's a really, really cute game. You play that quite a bit. Yes, it's really fun. So that's kind of a non-traditional, casual game, but it does qualify, I would say. Oh, it definitely does, because you can just pick it up. All you got to do is know how to press uh, WASD and, and use a mouse. Well, that's a, that's more than most casual games ask of you. Most casual games are not really... Well, so they can often be games of reflexes, but they're not usually about navigating um, a 3D a space. It's not a game of reflex, it's just you, you just well, need to navigate, that's it. It's on a timer. True. So most games don't involve you navigating around a 3D world with precision. That's what made it kind of unique. It was a little bit more hardcore of a casual game, which is an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. All right, what do we got next? Oh, here I am pushing the friggin' definition once again. Avenue Flow. So this has a lot of similarities to what I said about Free Realms, I suppose, in that it does have a big variety of casual games in it, but it the uh, framing, it's kind of a framed around a point-and-click adventure game. Where you you know you you have your uh, 3D and so-called 3D environments. It's like you know 2D perspective environments where you walk your character around by clicking on the ground to walk here or there, and you have to solve people's problems. Um, it's similar to these games that Bianca talks about. They're somewhat hidden object games, but uh, have other sorts of objectives as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't think this one had hidden objects in it, but it had a really big variety of but different tasks you would do. And uh, some uh, and uh, point and click stuff. So you yeah. had to p- pick up these objects and bring them to an, like a destination. Yeah, but you would you couldn't just pick up an object. You would have to solve a little puzzle to do it. Yeah. It probably had a good 20, 25, 30 puzzles in it or so. Mm-hmm. Very charming, very kind of lighthearted. Um, all like family, uh, family-friendly kind of stuff. But it was smarky and s- smarky? Snarky <laughs> and clever. And it was uh, in the universe of Diner Dash. Diner Town. Well, Diner Dash was the first one, wasn't it? It yeah. takes place in the fictional place of Diner Town, where you are Flo. <laughs> I get to laugh at Rod, you laugh at Flo. Ladies and gents, we're, we're terrible human beings. Yes, I know, we're so mature. I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually stick this into the show notes, because I liked it that much. Avenue Flo. There are two games. I think I own the second one as well. I think I remember liking the first one better. I don't remember why that was. Yeah, it's been forever Maybe because it was more of the same. Yeah, but uh, it's of uh, it's it's great. It's really great. It's not hard. It's just it's it's challenging without being hard. It challenges you by giving you such a variety of tasks to do. Yeah, and, and I don't think it repeats. Trying to remember where you got it because you might have to walk like a long distance 
between things and uh it's not that big it, no but you have to remember okay you picked up you have to do like multiple it's multiple step problem solving without being really difficult it's true yeah that's right out of the school of adventure game design where you don't just go from a to b you go to a and you find out you have to go to c in order to do that you have to get go to d and then back to c and then to a to finally get to b mm-hmm. i'll leave i will leave such discussions for blue cup tools podcast they articulate those things more succinctly than i do yes all right what next Lemonade Tycoon. Lemonade Tycoon. I put that on the list. Yeah. A tycoon game. Well, basically, would you say that uh, all tycoon games would qualify as... Um, casual games? Yeah. Or would you say that this is uh, one of those... Where, or would you say that this is a better example of a casual tycoon game? I would say it's a casual tycoon game. Because some tycoon games are very detailed. This is based off of uh, a game called Lemonade Stand which is one of the very first computer games ever. It was on Mac. Yeah, uh, there was one on Mac that I liked a lot, actually. Me too. I'm going to look this up, actually, because the original Lemonade Stand... I'm going I'm to look this up. I think it's from the 70s. Here we go. Lemonade Stand is a business simulation game created by Bob Jameson of the Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium from February 1979 for the Apple II platform. 1979. That's amazing, isn't it? Ugh, that's before I was born. Wow, that's a year after I was born. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that game was interesting because it was fun. It's, it was just like an economics exercise is what it was designed for, to help people learn economics with a simplified model. But it was actually fun, where you have to... And this, this game, Lemonade Stand, I forget who the developer was, but I believe it was published by Microsoft. Um, it kind of had cute pixel graphics, and the objective is to make as much money from your Lemonade Stand as you can. And you have to purchase... You have to customize the recipe based on the news and the weather forecast. So if and it's a hot what, day... And what people have also liked, because it can be a hot day, but you don't put in enough ice or sugar. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You need to balance the amount of lemons with the amount of sugar, and depending on the weather, you have to put in more or less ice. And if you use too much ice, then you have to put more lemons, and if you put too much lemon, then you have to also put more sugar, which increases your cost, and you have to buy enough ice cubes for the day because they all get destroyed at the end of the day. They don't and survive. And you also have to make sure you have the right number of cops because if it's going to be hot, you want a lot, you're going to need, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. But if it's cool, you're not going to want a million cops. Although it's not a bad idea to invest in cops because you always need cops. Yeah. So there's and perishable then, and non-perishable then items. Figure, then you have to figure out where the best place to, to set up shop is that day. That's right. And that's the interesting part as well. Um, that, that, I think, was unique to this Lemonade uh, Tycoon game, was that um, there are different locations that you can sell your lemonade at. and uh, You start off in your own neighborhood. That's right, which is free. And if you want to sell lemonade somewhere else, you have to pay a fee to work there for the day. And so you have to make at least that much money to pay for the to rent even. and for your perishable items and to at least break even and ideally be profitable. And you have to, you're encouraged to sell in the same place every day because the more, the more you work in one place, the more kind of uh, reputation you build up there, which makes it easier to sell. Yeah. That's another one of those games that has a little bit of depth to it enough that you have to master it, but it has some variability. So you have to keep kind of remastering it and be aware of your situation. And it's still fun despite all these little variables. Um, I'm going to put that in the show notes. I like that a lot. Um, Tycoon. There's a sequel which I didn't like as much, 
I don't know if this game is for sale anymore. It was it actually was this published by Microsoft? I think it was at some point, but it was also published by Real Media, who made Real Audio and Real Video and stuff like that. The browser plugin. They had like a gaming uh, network for a little while as well. Oh, well, that's 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 Lemonade Tycoon. That was a really fun one. All right, what do we got next? Let's see. Insane, insane Aquarium. Ooh, you want to talk about this one? Oh, the Wrist Buster 5000. Oh, yeah. The, the Wrist Buster or the Finger Frigger? This game hurt your hand really bad. Oh. It was one of those early pop cap games that just murdered your hand. It's, it was one of those games. This was like, this was, I would say this was an early clicker. Kind of. Well, kind of. I mean, if you didn't have, you know, autumn. It was like an arcade clicker, I guess. Mm-hmm. An arcade clicker that like destroyed your wrist. It took two of us to get through like the last couple, the last few levels, because we couldn't that uh, click fast enough to be these friggin' goldfish that were utterly insatiable. <laughs> oh look, it propped up more babies. <laughs> That's, it made this horrible flatulent sound every time your your mother twit. <laughs> the twit gives Blur? birth to a, a baby. Blur. Oh no, the twit is the baby. Sorry. No, the twit, the uh, pregnant twit, goldfish. Twit is the pregnant. Oh yeah, that's right. This is actually yeah the the medical term for a pregnant fish, isn't it? Is a twit? Yes. There's, there's your there's your your worthwhile educational moment of the day for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And rats can't vomit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you could pick like three kinds of fish. Oh, or something? oh she missed me. Thank goodness. Stupid little shit. It kind of just rolled down your leg. Lovely. <laughs> um. So you, I think. This this game was designed by George Fenn, who made Plants vs. Zombies and a few other games for PopCap. Yeah. Until they laid him off, they made he made that company like literally a billion dollars, and they laid him off. I don't I cannot understand this. He is a brilliant designer. Yeah, but brilliant designers eventually get need more money. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened. He did not deserve to be laid off. He made that company what they are basically. I mean, so did Bejeweled, but he was no slouch. I feel badly that he would lose his job. Anyway, um, you would choose, you would like unlock a new kind of fish every level, I think, and yeah. each fish had a different bonus. And so uh, it was all about finding combinations of fish that would get you different bonuses that would help you to get through the objectives of that level, similar to Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah, but you always like needed your, uh, your, uh, your spawning fish. Yeah, you always needed a mommy twit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very clever game. And it reminded me, in terms of the amount of risk-destroying clickingness, of big money. Oh, yes, big That game hurt so much, money. but it was so much fun. Oh, I, I, have, I bought it super cheap, so I now have it on Steam. My mom loved that game, but then her carpal tunnel syndrome flared up and she couldn't play it anymore. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> but we got to be jeweled instead. Yes, that was a little more agreeable. Oh, what is this? Bur- Stop chewing my chair. Stop walking on that. What a tootie. All right, what's next? Oh, this is such a good one. This is another game uh, with the soundtrack by uh, Skaven. Dynamite. Am- Amazonas is the name of the awesome song from this. Oh man, I'm 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 making a note. That's going to be my uh, my song of the week is Amazonas by Skaven. Dynamite. Tell us about Dynamite. Welcome to Dynamite. <laughs> Essentially, Jurassic combo, Cretaceous combo, Dynamite combo. <laughs> No, we're always coming. <laughs> okay, so you're a couple yes. of dinosaurs, and you um have to shoot, and you have to eliminate these eggs by shooting other eggs at them, but you have to match the appropriate colors. It's a bust a move clone. Yeah, it totally bust a move. 
and it um, instead of marbles you have eggs and there's three different modes puzzle uh, regular and um, timed time modes interesting because that one you can keep going but every time you hear the release coming it means that a new color new color egg type is going to be introduced but you can stop really from dropping it you have to be quick enough on the draw to do that otherwise you know he you're going to get a new egg color right oh, that's right i just love the presentation of this game it is very very much like bust a move um which is like the bubble bobble marble shooter kind of i think they call it a genre of marble shooter it's basically a match three, but you have to bounce your marble off of walls and it only goes in one direction, that kind of stuff. You shoot it upwards. But um, I love the presentation of this game because you have these cute little dinosaurs and you have a slingshot at the bottom and you shoot. You like the At the top are these configurations of different colored eggs and every egg has like a stick of dynamite sticking out of it, doesn't it? Some of the, yeah. And so if you match the three eggs, then the dynamite explodes and there's yolks all over the place. Yeah. That's what makes it so awesome, the yeah. yolk. And sometimes eggs quiver, and then if you shoot those eggs, then, like, a baby comes out of it, and uh, that's it. Yeah, I don't really... Un- yeah, you, that's right. And it's a baby pterodactyl or something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, some, and it's, yeah so some, and then there's a mode where uh, you're fighting against the mom dinosaur, and if you lose, it's, a, it's the puzzle one. Uh, she stomps down, and then... Uh, squishes all the eggs? Yeah, squishes you and all the eggs. So basically, yolk equals good game. <laughs> it's real yokey. That's what made. I don't know why. That's the presentation of that game that made it so compelling for me. Mm-hmm. But it is a very well programmed game. Like PopCap, right out of the gate, made nothing but the highest quality casual games. We got to say that up front. Oh, and while we're talking about PopCap, by the way, let's talk a little bit about the odd. I don't understand the context for it. The very odd, like relationship between PopCap and Blizzard. Do you know why I bring up this relationship? Uh, because of uh, uh, Bejeweled while you're on the Griffin? And um, uh, Bejeweled and Peggle. Oh, yes, Peggle. Do you want to introduce uh, this? Do you want to talk about this? No, but I do. But Peggle, for those of you who are wondering, is, is, uh, it's like an evolved version of your marble shooters. It's like Pachinko. Pachinko, but, but also a bit like a marble shooter. So it's uh, kind of in between those. That's right. Well, I'll just very m- mention very briefly then. Uh, World of Warcraft has add-ons. You can you can make an add-on for the game, which adds a little feature into the game. For some reason, PopCap made free versions of first Bejeweled and then Peggle, which were commercial games that were not available for free in any form at the time. They made free versions of the game that worked inside of World of Warcraft, oddly enough. So you could play it just whenever you wanted to in the game. And they even added, like, achievements before World of Warcraft had achievements. They added achievements and, like, they added skill trees, which were similar to, like, an MMO character progression skill tree. Um, but they also – so you can play it whenever you wanted or you can make it so that every time you hopped on a griffin, which lets you travel across the world and you have, like, between one and eight minutes to spe- to, uh, to kill, it would make it pop up during the, the griffin rise and you have to get the highest score possible uh, before uh, the griffin landed. So that was just really cool. And then later on, um, World of Warcraft added a formal quest like Plants vs. Zombies, which was basically exactly Plants vs. Zombies, but made inside the World of Warcraft engine. Yeah, and instead, and for the zombies, use Discourage. Discourage, yeah, that's right. So it, it's tangentially made it a part of the World of Warcraft lore. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
if you finish that optional quest line, you got a little mini pet which looked like a sunflower, and it I was. I know it's sing. It was sing the "There's a Zombie on My Lawn" There's song. There's a zombie on your lawn. <laughs> There's a zombie on my lawn. Ooh, nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just for just for your pleasure. So it didn't actually sing the words; it just kind of went do 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 whatever it hums. But it was voiced by uh, the composer. Of that song, Laura Shigihara, who made an amazing soundtrack for that game. And there's an English and Japanese version of that song. Yes, there is. Okay, we're really digressing now. Yes, we are. What's next? Um, oh, we do have big money on there. Yeah. Astro Pop. Boy, you play Astro Pop a lot. Yeah, that's a um, that's another match three game, but she's chewing my chair. No good. She's being a ding Maybe she is. Look her back away from the rope. Thank you. Okay, yes? Okay, so... Match three, but you take as you can match up to seven. Uh, you can uh, you pay you can take up to seven tiles from the uh, playing board and relocate them. And the idea is just to clear them as quickly as you can to get to the next level. Yeah, that was a weird one. You like it looks like a marble shooter in that you kind of play from the the bottom and upward. Um, but you can like suck up some blocks and shoot them at another line. Like, you, you suck up blocks from all over the place, and then you shoot them upward in a line. And, of course, you have a mega move, which you use if you get stuck. Mm. And there's four characters who all have unique mega moves. Yeah, it was a peculiar one. I've never seen another match three game like that. It's basically match three, although you have to match four or five, I think. No, you can do a minimum three, but okay. a maximum of however many. Yeah, I've never seen a, a game exactly like that. It's quite unique. Mm-hmm. It's well made too, but it has this one song, and it's like twenty seconds long, and it's like super loud, bombastic, and I'm really fucking sick of it. And you won't stop playing it, and it makes me angry. But that's okay because it makes you happy, so that makes True. me happy. And I could always play. Uh, Come here, stupid. Pon pon pon. No, we can't. Don't say those words. <laughs> next. Next. What Your next? Turn. Big money. We already talked about big yeah. money. <gasps> Jones in the fast lane. Is this a casual game? It's basically like a board game. Do we call this a, a casual game? I don't know. Here, give her a UFO. She probably won't a UFO more than the other one. UFO. Okay, let's not talk about birds. Let's talk about games. Okay. Jones in the Fast Game. Oh, whatever. You guys already know what Jones in the Fast Lane is. We've talked about it on the show. But it's basically a computerized board game made by Sierra. Uh, kind and of a game a, of life. Yeah, and there's a newer version that's like got all voices and everything, and it's a. Oh, a it's pretty cool. That was a CD-ROM version that had voices. Mm-hmm. But we like the original version. So yeah, basically a board game, basically the game of life. Super duper charming and cute and replayable. Whatever. Is that a casual game? Maybe. Next. Okay. Uh, Hoyle's Book of Games. Oh, did you ever play this? No. Hoyle's Book of Games. I used to play this on my 4 megahertz 8086 computer. This is an old Sierra game. Um, so Hoyle's Book of Games is the name of a book that has, like, the rules for different card games. And it was just like a parlor parlor card game, uh, cribbage, uh, simple board game, like, uh, kind of a, a compilation. And it had, uh, you could play against famous Sierra characters, and again, you could play against the uh, programmers of the game. Um, you could play Old Maid and Hearts and uh, Backgammon and Cribbage and uh, other stuff, too. Um, crazy eights, uh, and it was it was really neat. It was uh, one of the first mouse games I can think of. 
And I played it originally in CGA graphics, but it's also uh, available in, I think, EGA with the AGI uh, engine. Oh, that was a really fun one. They made it. They made several Hoyle's Book of Games. At first, they were mostly card games and stuff. Well, I think they were always card games at a bare minimum, but they had checkers and chess and stuff later on as well. They were really compilations of like multiplayer games or you could play against a computer AI. Uh, but uh, it was fun playing against the famous Sierra games. You can play card games against Leisure Suit Larry or against Rosella or Roger Wilco. Very peculiar kind of a thing. But they made the they made the most of their uh, stable of characters. All right, what do we have next? Oh, Picross 3D. Did you play this too? Didn't you? Very briefly, then I got irritated. Oh, I got I got obsessed with this game. I played this for the Nintendo DS, and unfortunately, that's the only system I ever saw it on, and it worked so well with that system, which used the touch controls like of the stylus, as well as a combination. It used a combination of the touch controls and button presses. Um. It is a variation of, what's it called? A tangram, which I think is like an ancient uh, Chinese or Japanese puzzle. Um, kind of like Sudoku, but with uh, pictures, with cells, where you have to uh, solve according to hints that you get on the edges. Um, so Picross 3D, and, and uh, often when you solve the puzzle, it's like a little kind of a bitmap image of, uh, of a doggy or an apple or a letter of the alphabet or something like that. It was kind of like a cute little surprise at the end, if you solve it. Um, Picross 3D was similar, but it was in three dimensions. So instead of a, a, a 2D, you know, X by X, X by Y puzzle, it was X, Y, and Z. So you had to solve it in the three different dimensions. And that uh, made it a little bit more challenging, and it meant that uh, solving it along one dimension gave you hints uh, about uh, solving it on a another dimension. So you kind of had to keep rotating this cube and chiseling away at the uh, boxes that you know do not fit the pattern, sort of like a minesweeper sort of a thing. Or Hexel. Uh, I think, he yeah, Hexels, that is also based on uh, Tangram. Yeah, I know. I'm just giving an analogy for uh, users who might not have been familiar with the uh, DS system. Yeah. I mean, listeners. Yeah, listeners. so I would love to see that game on smartphones. I, would, I don't know if they have a... Who was the uh, developer? Sorry, I'm going to look up quickly to see who the developer was. It was a very, very well-made game. Picross 3D. It is made by HAL Laboratory. Ew, poo. <laughs> HAL Laboratory, which I think is a division of Nintendo, or at least publishes only for Nintendo. And boy, do they make extremely high-quality, well-polished games. So if you can ever find Picross 3D, play the heck out of it. I loved it. I was totally obsessed with it. I would play it, like, every night before bed. Yes, you really did. I really did. All right, what do we got next? Sudoku. Yeah. Whatever, you guys know what Sudoku is. I like Sudoku a lot. Some, some days I'm good at it. Some days I'm really crap at it. Yeah. Um, if you guys have any recommendations for a good computerized version of Sudoku or a mobile version for Android, I'm all ears. There's a million versions of them, and it's popular enough that if you ever want to go down like a, a, a pop-up ad-laden spam <laughs> shithole, just look for Sudoku games. <laughs> it really sucks. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'd love to find a good one. Microsoft publishes a, a serviceable Sudoku game for Windows 8 and Windows 10, but it's full of ads and shit, yeah. so uh, screw that. I can't stand it. Okay. Next on the list is 
My kingdom for the princess. This was yours. And it also falls in line with uh, Roads to Rome, 12 Labors of Hercules. Um, where else do I have? Uh, Ballad of Solar. It's a time management game. Yeah, essentially, these ones are you got a, a small map of the area. You have to clear the roads and, uh, and then build some stuff along the path and pick up special objects that allow you to unlock a bridge and cross over. And you continue along your merry way. So yeah. 12 Labors, Labors of Hercules is one of them. There's four iterations of that, all with their own little story. I never paid attention to the story. What a surprise. Mm. Um, but the art is very cute. Yep. Ballad of Solar was really was another big one. Out of horse, and I had to go rescue the princess. And then the mm-hmm. one that uh, Brian put down was My Kingdom for the Princess. I love making fun of the name. I know. It's a very make funnable name. My Kingdom for the Princess. And, of course, <laughs> there's Roads to Rome. Which was one of mine on, and it was pretty good. Yeah. So these are games, time management game, where you have one or more characters and you have a map with paths, and you have to clear obstacles from the paths by consuming resources like food or energy, and you replenish food and energy by um, by uh, picking up icons on the on the map or by. Uh, Clearing an obstacle, like if you clear an obstacle, if there's like a log on the road, it consumes food, but it gives you wood. <laughs> gives you wood. Huh? Uh. Sorry. So, <laughs> what was I saying? We're full of innuendo today. I don't We're know. five years old. Yeah. So the challenge is then. Um, sometimes you'll find finite resources, or sometimes uh, the resources are replenished over time. But you have a limited amount of time to either solve the whole puzzle or to get like the bonus uh, high score. So the objective is to come up with the most efficient route. So you often have to replay something over and over. Yeah, but you get little workers, you send them out, and then you're um, if you're playing and in the adventures, the twelve labors of Hercules. Hercules will eventually move all the big boulders, or the hero of your game will move like the one big immovable object once the uh, workers have cleared the path. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay, what's next on the list? Ah, Diner Dash. What have we got for this? Diner Dash, of course. You played this more than I did. Yes, Why don't you and talk it comes about it? in iterations of this include Hotel Dash, Wedding Dash, Fitness Dash, Parking Dash. Um, um, oh, yeah, Among the Heavens, Farm Frenzy. There's a lot of Diner Dash clones, and for all I know, Diner Dash may be a clone of something else, too. But I think it's the most famous mm-hmm. of this sort of a game. Yes, essentially the idea is to do a lot of matching of colors to get to uh, get the multiplier bonuses and to stack uh, actions so that way you're like doing five of one action before you do five of the next action to get the highest score possible. By picking up and doing your same action in a chain, you create yourself the highest score. But you all, but the thing, but the but what makes this uh, interesting is you have to do it against the clock with, and even if even if the you can beat the clock, you also have to accommodate the AI, which will be sending in people that you're serving in these games, and they will have their own personalities. They'll either be extremely patient, slow, or they'll be really fast, but really impatient, or they'll just be like, oh, I'm happy, and I'm not too slow. Oh, yeah, so there's like the business the business guys, there's the grandmothers, and they all have their own... They, they, yeah, they, they do things in a different order, or they some are more patient than others, some are faster than others, so you have to stack them. So that you can serve everybody without making other people angry. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you talk about the colors? So every group will have colors, and um, 
When you seat them down in a blank chair, that chair will take the color of like either blue, yellow, purple, green, or whatever. And so if you have a blue chair and you sit another person who's wearing blue in that chair, you double the value of that chair. So that way when you uh, pick up their objects, you now get double, you now um, have a multiplier of two on your score for, for interacting with, that, with those people instead of just the uh, basic uh, score for completing that, uh, for clicking and taking your order, you get a double score for that. Mm -hmm. And so you can create, uh, you can have, you can get that multiplier up as high as you can, as long as you keep them on the uh, same, uh, you keep the colors matched. Yeah, so you try to seat the same colored person in the same chair over and over to the best of your ability. And that means that sometimes if you don't have someone of that color waiting in line, you have to risk making them wait longer until someone else comes to put them in that table or you lose your, your, your combo bonus. Those, I found those stressful myself, but you played those quite a bit. You're, you're a lot better at those than I was. It was kind of a chore for me. Yeah. How are we doing on our list? Pretty good, actually. All right. Um, oh, yeah, Farm Frenzy and in Supermarket Frenzy would have also fallen into that, that dash category. Uh, Supermarket Frenzy, as I recall, was sim more similar to... That was a time management game, wasn't it? Yep. More similar to My Kingdom for the Princess, etc.? Yeah, but you didn't clear roads. You uh, just refilled, uh, refilled yeah, you the shelves, aisles. and uh, you picked up crap, and you dealt with uh, stupid children. That's right. Oh yeah, the uh, yeah, and the shoplifters and stuff. Those I liked those games actually. I, I finished those ones. <laughs> we should mention, by the way, that for a time we subscribed to oh, Big not, Fish. Okay. Go, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I, well, I was gonna talk about my finding the stuff game, but we've already mentioned that thoroughly. So hmm? that I have. Uh, the, the various hidden object games listed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so go ahead with Big Fish and then I'll finish off. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say that um, for a while we subscribed for $7 a month to BigFish.com. $7 a month got you one game, which used to be a good price. I guess it still is, but that's that's subjective, I suppose. Um, and we were on there for at least a couple of years or so, I think. We yep. have about 20 games or so in our... Yep, that's, library. Mm -hmm. that's where I got the Cookie Academy, which is a really which is a fun cooking game. It's um yeah, it similar was. to Cooking Mama. Kind of, but with mouse controls and pretty good mouse controls. Yeah, it's a hard thing to get to get right on a computer. Mm -hmm. And it, it had various uh, life simulators, life simulators, um, <laughs> like I Game know, of Life, Jones in the Fast Lane sort of games. Yeah, there was uh, Life Quest and uh, Metropolis. And another one too. Mm -hmm. That's on our library, but we didn't put it in here. I can't remember what it's called. Mm -hmm. But uh, and there were sequels to those as well, and they were fine. Also, time management games. Yeah. Which I guess Jones of the Fast Lane is as well, because you have to do as much as you can in a week with your limited resources. True. Yeah. But you gotta get the clock. You just have to that when you do something, it takes time. So you have to look at the start of the week and decide how what are you gonna do it in. True. All right. You want to just pick maybe two or three more, and then we'll. Call it a day. Actually, I think I already. I think we actually got through everything because most of the stuff we could uh, team up. Okay, I've got one more. I've talked about this before. Casebook, which is a hidden object game. Ah, I already talked about this like three times. Whatever. It's a hidden object game, but what's unique about it is that it's all photo realistic stuff. Like not just photorealistic, but it's like um, Google Street View style, three hundred and sixty degree photographs. Um, so you look around in this real environment and you click things, um, and, uh, you have to solve like a murder mystery or whatever, a kidnapping mystery in the different games by finding the objects. 
<laughs> Whatever. Uh, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, if you want me to talk more about my find the shit. <laughs> no, no more find the shit. Okay. But yeah, if you do, the newer one are actually much better. Look yeah, another they're high res. That's true. That's yeah. that's a that's a genre that was improved by better technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, if you're looking for good games, I find the Artifacts Monday tend to have pretty good ones, and so do Jet Dog Studios. Mm-hmm. Alawar, who's the other big name that I've noticed. Oh, um, they're a great developer. They're good for the time management. Yeah. Sometimes for the uh, hidden object, they're a little hit and miss. But yeah, they're otherwise pretty good. Yeah, different studios tend to have their specialties, but basically... If you buy a game from PopCap, it's pretty much guaranteed to be phenomenal. If it's match three. Otherwise, they some of them start to run a little together. Maybe. But if you go, if you uh, deviate straight out of uh, match threes, you'll find there are a few hidden gems. We could probably do a whole episode on PopCap. That's just a phenomenally good studio. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you guys have any favorite casual games, or would you define the genre of ca- uh, casual games any differently than we did? We would love to hear from you. And look, the bird's molting. <laughs> yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Hey, birdie. Do you want to... You've got a handful of birds. Should I do our thingy today? Yes, you may. I got a handful of bird, and it's molting everywhere. And it's gorgeous. Joey, you've been such a good girl, except for all the pooing. <laughs> How many times does this bird poo in this episode? Four? Yeah. Thank you for counting and giving such a quick, specific answer. <laughs> so if you have any other uh, terrible innuendo puns, or if you have information on pooing birds or <laughs> casual games, etc. Um, you're most welcome to contact us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com. Email squarefm at demodulated.com. Twitter, we are at squarewavesofm. Square we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play Music, we're on Stitcher and other stuff too. And as always, if there's some some service or something that you like to use to consume your podcasts and we're not on there, then let us know and we'll uh, sign up for it. So, till then, thank you very much for listening to us. We love you like crazy. We sure appreciate you listening in. We love your letters and your voicemails, etc. And we wish you all a very, very good week. If you're in Canada, we wish you a great long weekend. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in some other country with long weekends, we hope you're... Ah, whatever. I'm babbling. Yes, you are. Meh, 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 meh. Alright, say goodbye to the nice people, Mrs. Bianca. Bye, nice people. Alright, bye, you bunch of smelly old jerkbags. If you have a bird, don't get pooed on. Bye. Good luck.